to see you guys. Hey, it's good to, oh, thank you, thank you. It's good to see Gail back. Y'all been, we've been praying for Gail and look what God did. She's here this morning, ready to amen the sermon. I hope. I want to invite you to grab a Bible and we're going to be in two particular uh, sections of scripture. The first will be Luke 11, and then I'll have you just flip back to Matthew chapter 6. Luke 11 and Matthew chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, um, I, I would tell you first, there's some Bibles out in the lobby. It is our gift to you. Please take one. Uh, or you could just look at it on the screen or download a Bible app on your phone. Luke's Gospel chapter 11 from the Word of God, which is our authority that we stand on. Luke chapter 11, verse 1. Hear the word of the living God this morning. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say. Now I want to look at Matthew's account of what we call in church, the Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6. So just flip back to Matthew's gospel, uh, just one book prior to the book of Luke, Matthew chapter 6. In verse 9, Jesus gives us a more extended version, or Matthew's account gives us a more extended version of the Lord's Prayer. And Jesus said to them in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much, Lord, that though it was my voice who spoke it, God, it was your word that we just heard, God. And so many of us may have come in here this morning looking for some divine deep revelation or some word that was be spoken over them. Thank God you just did. God, your word brings life. Your word brings us from death to life. And so, God, I just pray that you would do what only you can do through your word. May we have ears to hear and hearts to understand, and not just hearers of the word, but also doers of it also. In Jesus' name, amen. It was a really long time ago. When I was 12, um, I started playing the piano, and I would try to find anyone who was good so that I can kind of sit under them and just watch them. And so there was this guy in town. It was a real small town that I grew up in. And this guy was really good, really good musician. And I would just sit there and probably be the nag that I was because we all know that uh, if you're in junior high, uh, you are in a period that the Bible would describe the tribulation period. And you know that you're not at your best. Amen, parents? I thought we'd have like some kind of charismatic service right there, but that's okay. And so I would sit myself under this guy and learn and watch and just, and just kind of take in everything that this guy was doing 
on the piano. I'd go on to get my undergrad in music, and I had this, um, my, my classical piano teacher, really old, about 130 years old. I don't know, made that up. Super old guy, incredible. I mean, this guy, he would come down to LaGrange, Georgia from Atlanta, make the commute just to teach classic piano to uh, a few of us at our college. And he was so good that he was really into the technique part because if you're taking classical piano, then you really have to be good at the technique of uh, playing the pieces that you were practicing to play. And so this guy was so good that in piano, you have to use certain fingers uh, for certain notes that you play, that this guy would be in the corner of the room, turned around, and would notice when I would not use the right finger to play the right note, despite the fact it was played correctly. I mean, this guy took us through a very rigorous progress and process into how to play, and I was fine with that because he was the best piano player that I have ever sat under. I think when the disciples asked Jesus, teach us to pray, we find ourselves in a similar situation. They want to pray like Jesus because we know that some of, well, all of Jesus's prayers are the greatest prayers that have been prayed. And so they're not looking for a person who semi knows what they're doing when it comes to prayer. They're not looking for someone who maybe is just like one of those, our fatherest and divineth heavenest, you know, the people that pray out of the King James Bible. I'm not hating. If that's you, that's fine. It's, it's kind of strange. But anyway, um, they're not looking for someone who is mediocre in their prayer life. They find the best so that they can pray like the best. They don't ask Jesus teach us how to perform miracles. They don't ask Jesus, teach me how to be the best communicator that the world has ever seen so that I can draw the masses and make a name for myself. They don't ask Jesus to teach us how to use your power so that we can shock the world. They ask him, teach us, Lord, to pray. Because I would suggest that how we gain victory over our sins, how we gain victory in our life with just the day-to-day mundane of life, how we get through the day-to-day struggles that we all face is not how powerful you are as a Christian, not how look at me, look at all the signs and wonders and miracles I have performed but how you'll gain victory is how you are in your prayer life. And that's the key that Jesus wants to to make here and the point that Jesus wants to make. And they ask Jesus this simple question, teaches how to pray. And Jesus was this model of someone whom you'd want to follow when it comes to prayer. Jesus prayed scripture. You read through the life of Jesus, you'll find that Jesus prays in various different ways. And one of the ways that he prays is that he prays through the Psalms, right? If he's, as Jesus is on the cross, he quotes Psalm 22, Father, forgive them. Or, or, or he says, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus prays 
in the public as he is on the cross, he does pray that prayer, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He also prays publicly when he prays and when he thanks God and blesses the bread that he's about to feed the thousands of people. He prays long prayers in, in Luke chapter 6, verse 12, when Jesus goes to the upper parts of the mountains so that he could be alone and pray really, really long prayers. And I really like this part. Jesus does pray those shotgun prayers. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You know, like you forget to pray and then you're like, you're on your way to, this, to a situation where like, you know, it's not a good situation. You really hadn't prayed about it, but you say a two-second prayer. God, I need your help. It's those quick prayers. Jesus prays those quick prayers, right? When he's blessing the bread and breaking it, it's a quick public prayer that he prays. I also want to just point out that Jesus prays painful prayers. Again, Jesus praying as he is enduring the painfulness of the cross. Jesus says, and he prays to the Father, glorify your name. He doesn't pray, God, could you get me out of this mess? He doesn't pray, God, I let this suffering and, and just, can I just be removed from all that? I don't, I, don't, I don't really want to do this. While he's in the middle and the center of his suffering, his prayer is, God, through this, would you glorify your name? Jesus spends his time with the Father, and he says, whenever you pray. Whenever you pray is whenever. I mean, there's really no deep um, truth to this word. When you're at the grocery store, you pray. When you're sitting in your car on the way somewhere, you, you pray. When you're at school, you pray. When you're on your job, you pray. Jesus says, whenever you pray. And you pray like this. Now, Jesus, I want to point out something about the posture of our prayer. When Jesus says, pray like this, he does not suggest that there is some type of physical posturing of your body that you have to do. Now, granted, um, there are in the scriptures times that gives us examples of what a posture of prayer looks like. You can stand according to Genesis chapter 24, Abraham is standing and praying before the Lord. According to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, he is praying while his hands are lifted towards the sky. In Judges 20, 26, they are sitting as they are praying. In Mark 1, 40, they are kneeling as they pray. In John's gospel, chapter 17, verse 1, Jesus is looking up as he is praying to the Father. And even in Exodus chapter 34, verse 8, they are bowing as they are praying. But I want to point out something because Jesus does not teach them to pray as if prayer was some type of external position that you have to do. False religions would, would emphasize to you that in order for you to pray and your prayers to be heard from God, you have to place yourself in some kind of physical positioning of your body. But we would learn from the Bible that the Bible doesn't really care about your physical position. God is more interested in the posture of your heart. Is your heart bowed down to the sovereign creator of the universe? Is your heart bowed down to Jesus Christ as King and our God? 
He didn't care. Like, Jesus isn't like, okay, disciples, number one, stand on your feet. Take your hand, one hand, and do like this, one on the other heart. He doesn't do that because God's not interested in the externals of your life as much as he is as the internal. Because when the internal happens, then out of that will flow the external. That's what the beauty of the gospel is all about. That's what the beauty of the message of the Bible is all about. That our sovereign God and king and creator looks to the hearts of men and the hearts of women. And he's more concerned about the posture and position of your heart. So when you pray, the position of your heart is more important than the position of your physical body. And so he says, when you pray, pray like this. And he's about to unload and unleash to them what we now know as the Lord's prayer. There are two sections to this prayer. And in, within these two sections, within each section, there are three petitions that Jesus is going to make. The first one is all about God. Notice what he says, hallowed be your name. The next petition would be, let your kingdom advance and let your kingdom come. The third petition would be to let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we are asking God to let your name be greater than our name. God's name is already great, right? But we're asking him, God, let us make your name greater. Let it be greater than my name. Let your kingdom be greater than my kingdom that I'm trying to establish. And let your will be done. And then he gives three petitions that are kingdom-centered in some sense, but they are about us in another sense. When he says, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us of our trespasses. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. These first three petitions are about God's name, God's kingdom, and God's will. These other three petitions are about our need at the moment, our forgiveness, and our holiness. When we pray, pray like this. Now I'm going to just take, take apart this prayer that Jesus gives. So notice what Jesus says, our Father. Let me just look at that word, our, if I can. Notice what I like when I'm reading through Scripture, like what's kind of not there. Now, I don't recommend you do that all the time, but sometimes it's interesting to see what's not being implied when you're reading through Scripture. And so Jesus says, our Father. Notice that he's taken a, a me-centric emphasis off of the prayer. This is a communal prayer. This is a community prayer. This is about us and not me. Nowhere where you'll find in the, in the Lord's prayer, I, me, mine, this is about me. Isn't it interesting how that counters the way we pray when we pray? Oh, Lord, I need this. Oh, Lord, would you do this for me? My desire, my, me, I, me, 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 I, I. Isn't that how we pray? Maybe you're the sanctified crowd. Who knows? 
But this is the way I pray and find myself praying so many times. God, I need this. God, I need you to do this right now. And if you don't do it, then the whole world's going to collapse. I, 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 me, 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 me. That's how we pray. So notice and watch, and this is so significant because Jesus is trying to draw your attention off of yourself and make this prayer more of a community type prayer. This isn't just my father, it's our father. Our father. Now that two, those, that, those two words just would have sent a shockwave through those who were listening because he's making this not just a communal thing, just so it isn't just for the prophets and for the priests and those who are high up in the ranks of religion because that God is mine and mine only. Jesus sends a shockwave through all of the religious listeners of this prayer when he makes it a community prayer. And he's not just for the Pharisees, not just for the religious establishment. He makes it into an intimate setting that he is our father. And boy, would the religious leaders been really ticked off at Jesus because the, these religious Pharisees and priests, how dare you make our father accessible to these common folk? And Jesus slays and launches the grenades in their culture and immediately creates access to the father to anyone. You don't have to go through a priest or a prophet or a pastor or anyone. He is our father. Now notice that he's our father. And if he's our father, then what does that make us who believe in Christ? His children. Maybe you ought to start acting like he's your father and act like you are a child of the king of the universe. So watch this, this prayer, again, mimics the prayer of Paul from last week in Ephesians chapter three, where it was so God-centric, right? Jesus puts the focus on God, takes the focus off of you. Hallowed be your name, to hallow something, to make great your name, make your name great above all things on the earth. Squish the idols of my heart and may you be the greatest in my life. Remove the idols that which we hold so tightly to and you be our God and you be the great one. Let your name be great among all other names. Now for a disciple, now you gotta remember these guys were a little rough around the edges. If they heard, hallowed be your name, let your kingdom come, they heard insurrection time. Grab your guns, boys, we're going to Washington. It's funny. That's what they heard. It's funny to mock it now. But. Grab your guns and swords, boys. We're going to Rome. We're going to take over as if they have a Southern accent in Jerusalem. But there was no insurrection in the physical sense that Jesus is advocating because of the sovereign rule of God in his kingdom. Jesus is posturing their heart 
for spiritual insurrection that's about to take place in the hearts of men and women of this region and worldwide. So God, our Father, let your name be great among our names. Let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth. Not just keep it to you in heaven. Not just let all of those things and the resources of the kingdom of God stay there. Let it be here on earth where there is no sickness in the kingdom of heaven. Release that here on earth. That's a kingdom prayer where there are no broken lives, where there are no broken hearts, where there is no loneliness, where there is no broken marriages in heaven. Release that here on earth. And the bold and audacious prayer would be, God, you know, in your kingdom, there are no lost people. Could, could you reign and bring that here on earth? So this prayer, these three petitions that Jesus is giving us initially in this prayer are about the kingdom and rule of God and his sovereignty, are about who God is and who you're not, is about the greatness and majesty and the hallowedness of his name and the lowerness of who you really are. Jesus, like all prayers, makes this prayer about God. When you pray, you make your prayer about who God is. It's the point that Jesus is making and the point that you can find yourself throughout all of the New Testament prayers. So he takes us through those things. And initially, when you get to the next little section and to the next three petitions, you would think, oh, now it's my turn. Well, there's more kingdom um, verbiage, words used in this prayer. So he says, give us this day our daily bread. If you look closely, he's still talking about the kingdom of God a dominant biblical theme for the kingdom of God is feasting, is eating, is dining with Christ forever. The kingdom of God is always tied to meals. Some of your stomachs right now are beginning to turn and growl as we speak. I don't know why we didn't do a potluck for today's message. There is a reason behind that. In Exodus, the people of Israel were liberated from Egypt to move into a land that was flowing with milk and honey. Jesus himself even carried this idea over when you remember the the prodigal son ended with a great, incredible feast. Jesus feeds thousands of people a couple of times in the Gospels. And so he's given you this thought and this idea that, God, give me what I need. Give me this daily bread. Give me exactly what I need so I can continue to advance the kingdom of God out into the world. Don't give me tons of things that I can hoard to myself and make my kingdom great. Just give me exactly what I need for today. 
Give me the mercies that I need. Give me the grace that I need. Give me what I need today so that I might not look great or I might not get filled with riches, but so that I can advance your kingdom out. It reminds me of the Proverbs 37, verse nine. Two things I ask of you, O Lord, do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who's the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. His kingdom, his concern is the kingdom of God. His concern for you in asking what you need isn't so much about what you need. It's about what you need to advance the kingdom of Christ. I find that the majority of us will spend the bulk of our energy in a fantasy world, feasting on all that the world has to give to us. We'll chase after a hyper-reality of, of some type of world we want to live in, feasting on the earthly things, chasing after more money, more food, more things so that I can find lasting fulfillment in my life. And we won't chase after God just giving us the daily necessities of life so that his kingdom can be advanced. So the needs we're asking for, I think the point of this section of the prayer is for us to help. What is it, God, that you can give me so that I could advance your kingdom? Give me exactly what I need today so that I can make your name great. Give me exactly what I need right now so that I can advance the kingdom of light into this earthly kingdom of darkness. In verse 12, he goes on and he says, forgive us of our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now this is a realization if you haven't noticed that you ain't perfect right? And if you haven't realized that, then Jesus just told you. When you are praying, you need to be praying on the daily. God, forgive me. God, forgive me as, as I learn to forgive those who have done me wrong and done me harm. And we can't do anything in ourselves good and right before the Lord. So we have to pray this. We can't, we can't make ourselves some great person so that one day we won't have to pray this. You ever been wronged before? You ever, now get a lot of nods and, and, and amens on that one, but have you ever wronged anyone? Okay. The unsanctified people. Yeah. There's that crowd. Yeah, and you do it on a daily basis. You wrong yourself every time you miss an opportunity to share the love of Christ. You wrong God every time you miss an opportunity 
to show grace and love and mercy to someone. So you won't gain this perfection in this life. You won't even gain being good in this life. So the remedy is what? You turn to Christ. You turn to Jesus. God, you forgive me, Lord. Because I, have not, I don't have the ability to do this myself. I don't have the ability to forgive myself. So God, you forgive me. You see how this takes apart any type of works-based philosophy that is out there. Because you can't do it on your own. You need a remedy. And the remedy is for you to lean in to Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for you. God, forgive me because I'm going to need it every single day. And God, help me to forgive those who wrong me also. And then he gives us the last part of the petition, this prayer in verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Man, he's just saying like, look, you don't want to live your life going on in the sinful patterns of this world. So what do you do? What's the remedy? You pray to God, lead me out of this mess. God, lead me out of the patterns of my sinful life. And God, remove all of the temptations that Satan would want to throw in my way. Anything that would distract me from being more like you, God, lead me into righteousness, not into temptation. We come to him with our struggles, and it's a prayer of help. It's a prayer that you can't, but God can. It's a prayer that you don't have the ability to conquer your sins on your own, but God can. It's a prayer that you cannot find freedom over anything trying in your own doing. But you know who can? God can do that for you. It's why I've seen people in my pastorate life struggle with addictions. And the reason why they continue to struggle is because they're leaning in their own understanding, trying to fix it themselves. Instead of surrendering it to God. And you know how I see freedom in people's lives? Here's a revelation for you. It's when they surrender it to Jesus Christ. You want to stop struggling in your life? Surrender it to him. You want to stop struggling in your sin? Surrender it to Jesus. It's try, stop trying to fix yourself. You don't need to be fixed. God didn't come to fix you and make you look all pretty and give you like the success that you've been after. He's come to make you a new creation. You want to know how you get free over your life from sin and temptation? Be made new in Christ Jesus. Deliver us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In the end, I want to see two things. I want you to see two things real quick, and I'm going to be out your way. I know I went 35 minutes. I know I went 35 minutes last week, and that made some of us nervous, so I'll <laughs> try not to do that today. In the end, I think, I think there's two points to this prayer. One is our view of God. That's, that's pretty much the overstated thing about prayer so far as we've been looking at this series and this topic of prayer. 
Our prayers have to be centered around who God is. So let me ask you this question, like, who is God to you? Is God just your, your butler that you only come to him when you need him? Is, is God just some thought in your mind that could or could not be there? Is God this mean man in the heavens waiting for you to screw up so he can knock you out? Or is God your creator? He's not a created being, but is God your creator and the creator? Who is God to you? Because I think how you view God is going to have a large impact on, on your prayer life. How you view God is also going to have a large impact on how you view yourself and others. See, Jesus takes this prayer and, and he takes you immediately out of the picture and put God in the picture. How do you view God, who is God to you? Is God the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-sufficient giver of life? Is that who God is to you? And if that is, then you're on to something. Is Jesus God to you? If he is, you're on to something really good. Because I think that if you, you start viewing who God is, I, I think the more you need like your life to be successful or marriage to be successful or all these things, the most important thing in your life that you need right now is to understand who God is. That's the first thing first. And then you begin to pray kingdom prayers. Then you begin to pray, God, I understand who you are, that you are all-powerful, all-knowing, that you are a giver of mercy and life and grace and love. And yes, you are our judge. Yes, you do justice, God. We know and we trust who you are. And so, God, will you save? God, will you heal? God, will you restore broken lives? These are kingdom prayers that Jesus is inviting us into to begin to pray for God, restore. God, send laborers into a hostile environment. God, give us the boldness to stand in the face of culture and proclaim the good news of Jesus, that Jesus is God in the flesh and that he lived a sinless and perfect life and he was crucified and sacrificed so that we would not have to obtain the wrath of God. And not only did he die for our sins, but three days later he rose from the grave in which he now sits at the right hand of the Father. And one day he will return to his church that he said he would build and the gates of hell won't have anything to do with it. And the church won't fail. And one day he's coming back for us. So one day we pray these kingdom prayers. We pray God come. We pray God save and we pray God heal. God, it's all about who you are. So God, help us advance that out and give us what we need to do that. And may we trust and lean on to you as we go through this life. Let me pray for us. 